we are going to try to get through two articles about to affect the message tonight. So um, y'all listen fast. Okay, here we go. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about uh, the topics of education and stewardship and some of the um, some of the stuff that that I was trying to get together to have on the slides did not work out. So so I'm going to be reading this. This is a good time to remind you. Um, that oftentimes with the, the sermons that I'm preaching are available online the day after. In fact, I am going in right now and making sure that these will be posted. So yes, they will be posted sometime probably early tomorrow morning, and they should be able for you to get a hold of them. Um, if you go to our website, crestviewprattville.org, uh, on the top there's a, there's a link, link under Ministries for Sermons, I think. You you, pre, you you click that link for sermons, and on that page are some of the most recent uh, uh, sermons that I've done. There's you can listen to the audio that that's uh, done with our podcast. You can also scroll down a little bit, and there's a list of of the sermon notes from some of these sermons. Um, sometimes, uh, uh, and I know these I have, but you know I might I think I've forgotten to do it a couple times. So not every sermon may be up there yet. Um, um, but um, but the sermon should be there for you to be able to look at, look at the notes, look at the verses. Um, you can see what the main headings are and see the notes that I'm preaching from. Sometimes my notes are better than my preaching because <laughs> I forget to say something. I skip over something and I forget to say it. Or or other times my preaching is better than my notes because God works on the fly and, and he doesn't always tell me in advance. So, you know. If you look at both, you're bound to get something good out of one of them, at least. Anyway, um, check that out. That, that's a, um, hopefully, that's a help for you. We're going to talk about the topics of education and stewardship. And in a way, education is kind of a subtopic of stewardship, right? Because when we talk about education, we're talking about the stewardship of the mind. We're really talking about making sure that we are applying critical thinking and logic and reason as well as instruction and, and teaching. Something that's so basic that Jesus makes it part of the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations. How? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you. So the teaching is an important part. Education really is part of the stewardship of the gospel to which God has entrusted to us. So we'll talk first about education, since that's Article 12, and then we'll talk about stewardship, which is Article 13. So this is Article 12 of the Baptist Faith and Message on Education. Christianity is the faith of enlightenment and intelligence. In Jesus Christ abide all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All sound learning is therefore a part of our Christian heritage. The new birth opens up all human faculties and creates a thirst for knowledge. Moreover, the cause of education in the kingdom of Christ is coordinate with the causes of mission and general benevolence and should receive along with these the liberal support of the churches. An adequate system of Christian education is necessary to a complete spiritual program for Christ's people. In Christian education, there should be a proper balance between academic freedom and academic responsibility. Freedom in any orderly relationship of human life is always limited and never absolute. The freedom of a teacher in a Christian school, college, or seminary is limited by the preeminence of Jesus Christ. 
by the authoritative nature of the scriptures, and by the distinct purpose for which the school exists. That's a lot of ground. But it really boils down to a couple of basic things. The first thing is that education is compatible with our faith. We are in a day and age where we look at education in the public school system kind of a sense. And that's not always compatible with our faith. In fact, oftentimes it's antithetical to our faith. Some places much worse than others. But education in its truest sense is actually compatible with Christianity. It's, uh, um, I want to say, who was it? I can't remember who it was. There was a great scientist that was asked about the conflict between faith and science. He says, the two don't conflict. Faith and science work hand in hand. They just do things a little differently. They approach things from different angles. They look at different sets of problems, use different methods, but they don't, they don't bash heads against one another. They work together. Faith and science aren't mortal enemies. They are partners in the quest for truth. I think education and faith are along those same lines, that, that education, when done rightly, is compatible with our faith. The Baptist faith and message put it this way. Christianity is the faith of enlightenment and intelligence. That, that sentence came from the 1925 Baptist faith and message. That was in the, in the first version that was, that was uh, adopted by the, by the Southern Baptist Convention. And it hasn't changed because it's still true. Christianity is the faith of enlightenment and intelligence. It's not a blind, throw reason out the window and don't pay any attention to the evidence whatsoever kind of a faith. In fact, our faith is based in evidence. Just ask any archaeologist. If you look at any archaeologist of the Holy Land today and you ask them, what is your number one primary source for the work you do? They will say it's the Bible. You know why? Because for 50 years, they disregarded it and then found out, oh wait, these sites are exactly where the Bible says they are. Uh, hold on a minute. This king that we couldn't find any re evidence of, oh, suddenly there is a steel. There is a papyrus. There is something that comes up that is that talks about this very king doing the very things that Scripture said he was doing. We can look in the annals of history and we can look in the pages of Scripture and it's amazing how often Scripture gets it right. And even when we don't know, even when we're not sure, archaeologists will tell you, that even if we don't know where that city is, we start with where the Bible, what the Bible says about it, and that narrows down our options. Because now they figured out, God actually knew what he was talking about when he put this thing together. The writers of Scripture actually knew what they were talking about. That's why when you go through Nehemiah chapter 3, he's not only just talking about various points on the wall, he's talking about a circuit of the wall. Like he's, he's describing it in detail. And you go today to Jerusalem and the remains of that wall that you can find are just like he's describing. We can know which gate is which gate. We can see how things are constructed based on the way that he describes it. And so we know from these eyewitness accounts in scripture, this is the faith of enlightenment and intelligence. This isn't a faith for someone who just disregards all, all logic whatsoever. No, no, time after time after time. There's, uh, I saw one time a list of different, different scientific discoveries made in the last 5,000 years. Or, or, excuse me, it was in the last 2,000 years. Since the time of Christ. Here are the scientific discoveries we made. 
And here's the verses that tell us that in the Old Testament. He hangeth the earth upon nothing. Ancient cultures of that day thought the earth was on the back of some kind of animal. Depends on the culture as to what kind of animal. Greeks had a guy named Atlas holding up the earth. Talk about a cramp. But the Bible said he hangs the earth on nothing. Sure enough, we get out in space, we turn around and look at the earth. Nothing's holding it up. Nothing we can see, at least. The water cycle is described in the book of Isaiah. The water cycle, basic to life. The other day, uh, Mitchell came home. He was studying the water cycle in science class. And I just thought, scientists thought they really stumbled on something impressive when they figured out how, how it's the same water going through all of these different stages. And God just spoke through the prophet and told him exactly what would happen. By the way, you know, you know the point of him discussing the water cycle is to say in the same kind of way, uh, God is saying, my word will not return to me void. It'll do everything that I accomplished for it to do. Water doesn't return void. It falls down. It, it provides nourishment for plants. Then, it's, then it soaks through the ground into tributaries, into rivers, into streams that, that feed into seas and eventually into oceans. And it evaporates from there back up into the sky and more precipitation and the process just keeps happening. Scientists didn't know it for for a thousand or more years after Isaiah wrote it. But there it is. It's amazing how often our faith and science turn out to say the same thing if you give science long enough to catch up. Now, that doesn't mean, that does not mean that if the Bible doesn't say it, it ain't true. Okay? Hear me on this. There are things that aren't in the Bible that are true, okay? But I tell you what, it's the same God that's the source of all of it. Christianity is the faith of enlightenment and intelligence that goes on to say, in Jesus Christ abide all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All sound learning is therefore part of our Christian heritage. Rather than being um, anti-intellectual and saying all that book learning's got you all messed up, instead of doing that, we need to say, hooray for book learning. Yeah, let's figure it out. Let's, let's look at science. Let's, let's examine the world around us. Let's see how things work. Because we realize that God has done it all. And he gets the glory. And man, it's just fun to discover new things. It's, it's just amazing to be able to explain something that you couldn't explain before. There's a tendency. We want to dismiss education as just being something worldly. We don't need that. All we need is the Bible. But I'm going to tell you something. You really want to be a Christian disciple? You really want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? You better, you better learn how to pursue knowledge wherever it may be found. Whether it's um, as one ancient Egyptian wise man said, found at the kneading troughs among the maidservants, whether it's found from the lips of a king, world famous still today for his wisdom. Get it wherever you can find it. Education is a good thing but we got to do it right. Some learning does get off into crazy stuff that really just we got no business even trying to deal with. There There are tendencies in education to think that the more complicated something is, the more true it has to be. Oftentimes, that's just not true. Sometimes it is. Sometimes the complex in its beauty is the is what's true. But sometimes just because it's new or just because it's convoluted, just because it has $5 words that, that you feel like you have to say several hundred times before you can finally get them to roll off the tongue, that's, that doesn't make it right. There's a balance here. 
The testimony of Scripture speaks to uh, God's cornering the market on wisdom. Proverbs 3, blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who call hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down in the dew. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely and your foot will not stumble. Yeah, that's wisdom literature. Of course, it's going to uphold wisdom. What about Colossians 2.8? See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. In other words, that we have to be careful to make sure that the education that we are giving ourselves and giving our children is Christ-like wisdom and not worldly wisdom, because there's a big difference between the two. Wisdom generally is good. Spiritual wisdom is paramount. Education as a means of developing wisdom is a vital component of maturity. You want to make a mature person? Educate them. Don't just educate them on formulas, scientific jargon. Don't just educate them on the nuances of grammar. Don't just educate them in the core sciences or in philosophy. Educate them in the Word of God. Educate them on how to handle their emotions. Educate them on what to do with particular circumstances, with particular kinds of people. Educate them on how to handle themselves. Educate them in every way so that they grow to maturity. If our kids and grandkids are to be obedient to God, they've got to have good education. That is the foundation and education is important for us, too, within the church, even for us adults in the church, because sometimes we like to think, well, I'm too old to learn anything new. But guess what? There's plenty more to learn. And the fact is, we need education. How are we going to make good decisions as a body? When we come to that business meeting and we're trying to figure out what do we need to do? What are the, what are the aspects that are of paramount importance and how do we handle them? Which, which we've, got, we've got plenty of building projects around that we can do on these buildings. What's most important? What should we tackle first? How are we going to pay for it? How are we going to get it done? What's the best way to address this issue? Is it to tear the building down? Is it to put a new coat of paint on it? Is it, does it require, what, what level of work does this require and how are we going to accomplish it in a way that is both economically feasible and that lasts for years to come? It takes wisdom. It takes education, doesn't it? Maybe it's not that. How are we going to live out the mission of this church? We are God's family, adopted by faith in Jesus Christ, belonging together in the Spirit through love, making disciples of all nations, beginning right here in Prattville. How do we actually make that happen? What do we need to do? And we can think big picture. Well, we need to make disciples. Well, how do you do that? 
What's the best way for me to make a disciple? Is it to go knock on someone's door that I've never met before in my life? Well, maybe that works. Hey, let me tell you something. If God tells you, go knock on that door, go knock on that door. But I'm going to tell you something else. It sure is a whole lot more effective when you know the person you're talking to and you've built a relationship with them, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, who are you going to take a recommendation from? An average guy off the street that comes and knocks on your door on a random Monday night? Or your sister who's been having the same issue and who found something that worked for her? You tell me. How do we do this? How do we live out our mission? How do we know where God is leading? How do you know that what's being preached is right? Someone said, well, what, uh, you know, your kids are going, if your kids are going to a church and they're preaching solid biblical truth, but never, never pulling it out of scripture, even if they're using the language of scripture, but never saying where it's found. That's a good thing, right? Well, except when they go to another church and the preaching's not solid, how are they going to know the difference? How do we know that what's being preached, what's being taught, what's being ingested by us, what, what's coming to us in that devotional book that we're reading or, or in that book that we picked up from the library? How do we know that's true? How do we know that this theory that somebody's talking about is, is onto something or is full of gobbledygook and not really much, worth much of anything? How, how do we know? I'll tell you how we know. Education. You see, it's vital in the life of a church, especially if you're going to have a regenerate church membership that runs its own business by popular vote. You're going to run the kind of church polity that Baptists run. You better have an educated congregation. And it doesn't mean you need degrees all over your wall. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people who have studied the word, who know what God says, and who are able to apply it to their lives. That's a crucial component to discipleship. In fact... It really is our discipleship because not only is education compatible with our faith, but education is completed by our faith. You can't even be completely educated without a solid biblical faith. The new birth, says the Baptist faith and message, opens all human faculties and creates a thirst for knowledge. You, you remember back when you were saved? Remember how much you wanted to know more? How much you thirsted to read God's word? How much you, you desired to learn more about him? I was in fourth grade. I was excited to know more. That kind of got squelched for a while because I couldn't go to church because my parents wouldn't take me. Fourth graders, you know, they don't, there's not a lot of means that fourth graders have. And then one day, and then one day I was able to go. And one day I, I was able to go and I didn't know where to go. <laughs> no. People stopped inviting me when I'm suddenly old enough to drive. I, I don't know, it's weird. But I found somewhere to go. Sat under biblical teaching. Some of it was not biblical teaching. Some of it was um, bad arguments and that kind of thing. But I weeded that out because I had an education. Because I'd learned over the years, I'd been taught things like what books of the Bible are in what order. I'd been taught the basics of what the Bible has to say. And so it just didn't ring true. Someone would say something and I'd say, I can't tell you why, but that's not right. And they'd say, well, I'm not really explaining it very well. I said, well, sorry, but that's not right. What you're explaining is definitely not compatible with scripture. And I couldn't tell night from day. I couldn't tell why. I've learned now the reasons why that wasn't. I've seen it in scripture now. Now I can point you to those places and say, look right here. This is how I know that's not true. 
The Shroud of Turin. Is it the burial cloth of Jesus? No. You know how I know so adamantly it's not? Because John tells us that the head cloth was separate from the rest. It's in the Bible. I mean, if these people would read a Bible, they'd know. Be bad for the Shroud of Turin, folks. The folks trying to sell tickets to get in to see it. But guys, it, it, it's, it just takes learning. And that learning is completed by our faith. That, that learning is part of us growing in faith. Moreover, the cause of education in the kingdom of Christ is coordinate with the causes of missions and general benevolence. These are all peas in the same pod. Oftentimes, education is what leads to the opportunity to share the gospel. Y'all ever heard of a thing called Sunday school? I know it's not, it's not very commonly known. You know why Sunday school started? Kids were working in the factories all week long. Sunday was their only day off. They couldn't get an education because they were working. This was in England. Early days of the Industrial Revolution. The Mary Poppins time frame. Except the chimney sweeps were eight because they could fit a lot easier in the chimneys. So someone said, these kids need to learn. They need to learn how to read. They need to learn how to write. They at least know, know how to spell their name. At least be able to sign stuff. Maybe teach them a little bit about math and so they can, they can figure out the money in their house. They need some basic skills. They're not getting it because they're too busy working. They can't go to school. So you know what he did? Started a Sunday school. It was literally a school on Sunday. Taught them how to read. And guess what the primary textbook was? The Bible. It's a pretty good textbook. You see, these things go hand in hand. You ever heard the expression, uh, give a boy a fish, he'll eat for a day, teach a boy to fish, and he'll eat for a lifetime? We can try to help people that are in need. That's a good thing to do. Sometimes all you need is just something to meet the need today so you can get on your feet and, and get back at it. But sometimes I think we get, jump to meeting the need that's immediate, that's right in front of us, and we don't meet the need that will meet the need for years to come. I, I, one family I think of in particular that was always in financial problems. Every couple of months, it was just terrible. They couldn't meet rent. Every couple months. Now, in between those times, when they had some money, they were spending in all kinds of things. They didn't know how to, how to handle money. So, I told them, I said, you know what we need to do with these folks? We need to teach them how to handle money. Because if they can learn how to handle money, they won't have this problem nearly as much. Sometimes, sometimes these things all work hand in hand in such a way that, that you really want to help people. You really want to do the mission work. It's going to involve education too. One of the best ways for missionaries to get into locked countries is to be a teacher. Another good way is a doctor. Because some countries badly need both. And because God is the source of all wisdom... Because us being saved uh, allows us to be able to meet our full potential. <laughs> that salvation also brings a new access to wisdom. I mean, you, you know the one who's all wise. You got a source of wisdom. You got a connection to the source that you never had before. Christians ought therefore to be more desirous of knowing the truth, not less. More diligent at acquiring it. Solomon is given the choice. What do you want from me? God says, what do you want from me? I'll give you what, whatever you ask for, what, what do you want? And I'll give it to you. And he says, 1 Kings 3, 9, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people. God 
show me how to do this. Give me wisdom. God says, you know what? I like that so much. I'm going to give you the other stuff that most people would have asked for. I'll give you the riches and I'll give you all that other stuff. Unfortunately, Solomon, though he was the wisest man on earth, was not wise enough to avoid the trap of all those possessions and all those wives. And he ended up in a terrible mess. And Israel ended up in a worse mess right after he was dead. If any of you lacks wisdom, James says, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Not only, though, should Christians be wise, mature disciples will be wise. We read 2 Timothy 3 this morning. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Listen to verse 17. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We focused on the good work. I want you to focus now on the word equipped. You know what that means? Fully educated. They got all the tools in the toolbox and they know how to use them. You can cut wood with a dull axe if you want. It's a whole lot easier when it's sharp. It's not, it's not easy anyway, but it's a whole lot easier with a sharp axe. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul's talking about the fact that he comes to them uh, uh, not with words of wisdom and, and not, with, not, with, not with eloquent speech. Um, but with fear and trembling, so that your faith will rest not on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. He goes on to say, yet among the mature, this is verse 6, by the way, we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of the sage or the rulers of the sage who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Then he quotes a passage from the Old Testament, what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. You see, this wisdom, it's not, it's not hidden in the sense that only the special get to find it. Only the most intelligent ones can understand it. It's hidden in the sense that you got to go to its source. It's like a locked room. You don't have the key. Nobody has the key but God himself. But you come to him and ask, he'll unlock it for you and let you in there. The way we impart that wisdom, we impart it spiritually. Because it's spiritual wisdom, and it's for spiritual people. So education is compatible with our faith. Education is completed by our faith. Education should be championed in our faith. This is the, um, the last paragraph. Moreover, the cause of education... And the kingdom of Christ is coordinate with missions and benevolence and should receive among, along with these the liberal support of the churches. An adequate system of Christian education is necessary to complete a spiritual program for Christ's people. In other words, not only should we value education, we should pay for it. We should put a system in place. We should make sure that it happens. If that means that we budget a line item out of the budget so we can put education in, then that's what we do. If that means we move funds around in order to make sure that education gets enough, then we do that. If that means, however, that we don't need to budget education at all, but we need to build it into the fabric of our lives by teaching people as we live with them, as we walk with them, as we talk with them, as, as we go about our daily lives, then by golly, we should make every effort Liberal support doesn't just mean liberal versus conservative. It means the unabashed, unadulterated, unfiltered support. Everything we can, we're going to make sure this happens. That's discipleship, by the way. It's more than just make a believer, 
dunk them in some water, and make sure they stay involved on Sunday morning. It's more than that. It's how we live every day of our lives. And that comes through disciplined discipleship. I look back on my education, and it was not very robust in this way. It was good. I'm thankful for it. It set me on the right path. But I just think it could have been better. If I would have walked in my seventh grade year, say, and the teacher had begun the class with the words, my goal over the next few years is to turn you into disciple-making disciples of Jesus Christ. If instead of just being a Bible class where we talk about Bible facts and Bible trivia and Bible knowledge, if instead that teacher sought to actively disciple us, can you imagine the difference the world would have been? Can you imagine the difference? Can you imagine what it would have been like if we took discipleship seriously and not just thrown it as a word to throw around every now and then when we, when we want to do a capital campaign or when we, when we want to have some church growth? What if we really dedicated ourselves to it? it, it some schools, if they didn't have the word Christian, they didn't have Bible class or chapel services, you'd never know they were Christian. What if, what if this thing called Christianity took over every aspect the way we do education. It'd be a dramatically different environment. It doesn't mean we'd have to throw out everything. I can tell you this, I think we'd see a generation of kids storming the gates of hell with water pistols rather than trying to get in there. Not all are like that. I know at least one good one. But maybe, just maybe, the reason why the church is having so many problems today is because for so long we have just neglected to make disciples neglected to do it in education, in Sunday schools, in Christian schools, in our homes. We should be doing this with excellence, but instead we're not. The second paragraph talks about more of the academic side. When you're dealing with a Christian school, whether it's a primary, you know, K-12, or whether it's a college or seminary, um, and the relationship between the professor and the school, and what freedoms he has, um, that that's necessary because we had something. Um, we are the only major denomination. You'll know this because you lived through it. Most of you um, lived through this. The only major denomination that's that went liberal in our colleges and seminaries and was going liberal in the denomination leadership as a whole. We we're the only one to turn back. We we're the only one not to go completely down the rabbit hole. We we're the only ones. Do you know how it happened? Disciples. Disciples started with. They had a plan. They figured out what, we know what the need is, how do we address this? And they put in a systematic plan. They started electing presidents that were not liberal, that had not gone down that rabbit hole. And then those presidents started making appointments to committees. Each president serves two terms. You get to appoint some folks both years. You get a couple of good presidents in, you get, you get a bunch of good appointments in on those committees. And suddenly you're addressing an entire denomination's programs for a decade or more. The conservative resurgence is the only effort made in a mainstream denomination to turn it back from liberalism. And it worked because we put our priorities in education and in discipleship. Now, we've got a lot of problems in our denomination today. There's all kinds of different reasons and there's all kinds of different um, issues that are abounding. But I guarantee you what, discipleship is what will fix this. We got a lot of problems in our churches today. 
churches that completely have disregarded the word of God, churches that are going against scripture left and right, fast as they can, scriptures that are bending the knee to popular culture. Discipleship is what will fix this. We got churches that are dying. Look around. Discipleship is what will fix this. So don't tell me education doesn't matter in the Christian life. I dare say, if you're talking about education the way it's supposed to be, education is the Christian life because it is discipleship. Father, I pray that we would be your disciples and we would be so in education. God, help us help us not be worried about the degrees on the wall. Help us not be worried about all the highfalutin theories and various messes that we're in. Help us to be solely focused on doing your will, on making disciples who make disciples, on being your educated, mature disciples. To do that, we'll need your help. Give us wisdom. Give us the ability to discern what we need to do. Give us the sensitivity to your spirit. Follow you obediently, in Jesus' name.